0: Welcome to Women on the Line, one of Community Radio's National Feminist Current Affairs programs, produced by women and gender diverse broadcasters at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne, on unceded Kulin lands, and broadcasted nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Senya. On today's show, we hear about current issues faced by migrant and refugee women in both the workplace and more broadly in society in so-called Australia. Fung from 3CR Tuesday Breakfast chats with Dr. Ellen Cho, lecturer at the Monash University, about her co-authored report, detailing the experiences of women from migrant and refugee backgrounds in Victorian local councils. We then hear Kanagi from 3CR Tuesday Breakfast chat with Rati and Lavanya from the Refugee Women Action for Visa Equality. Rati and Lavanya marched alongside a group of women from refugee backgrounds from NAM to Parliament House in Canberra to advocate for permanent visas and freedom for refugees. First, let's hear from Dr. Ellen Cho.
1: Dr. Ellen Cho is a lecturer at Monash University and co-author of the report, Victorian Local Councils and Gender Equality, examining commitments to diversity and the experiences of women from migrant and refugee backgrounds. Uh, This was authored alongside Professor Marie Seagrave. Yesterday, I sat down with Ellen to talk about their research into the experiences of refugee and migrant women in local government. So I was wondering if you could start by telling our listeners about the significance of conducting this research into local councils and how these work settings are treating women from refugee and migrant backgrounds.
2: Sure. So um, this particular research was funded by the Commission for Gender Equality in the Public Sector. So we specifically looked at Victorian local councils and what the council employees experiences are like in terms of gender equality. Um, So we really looked at migrants and refugee women because um, Victorian local councils are the key employer for the community Um, and also they are the first layer of the Australian governance system. Um, Yeah, so that's why we focused on local councils.
1: And can you talk about how you got different local councils to get involved with this research?
2: Yeah. Um. So we pretty much sent an invitation to six participating councils based on population data. So we focused on three highly diverse population areas, and then also three less diverse um, population areas. And luckily, we um had them all joined our project, which was really um great. So yeah, that's how we got to choose those six councils.
1: And in terms of the findings, did you see any similarities between these local councils? I know that you said just now that there were councils with uh, highly diverse um, populations and also less diverse. So I was wondering if you could talk a bit about um, what you found from your research.
2: Sure. I think that's a really good question because when we first initiated this project, when we first started this project, we really wanted to compare and contrast the differences between those two groups. But um, as we um, start meeting with all the executive um, management teams and also um, employees in six local councils, we thought that Um, there are more similarities rather than differences, and especially migrant women, um, migrant and refugee women had very similar experiences across councils. So we didn't really compare and contrast their experiences. And in terms of the types of things that
1: refugee and migrant women were experiencing in these workplaces, can you talk about some of the key issues that were raised from these participants?
2: Yeah. Um. So we really had index discussions, which was really great. And as a migrant myself, I could really relate to those findings. I think one of the main finding would be that migrant women faced barriers for promotion. So when they were recruited, um, they really didn't see as much as barriers, um, as they expected. But when they wanted to go up and the leader um, in the in their workplace, they started seeing um, those linguistic cultural barriers. Um, so yeah, I think that was the main finding, really. And did many of these women um, have positive
1: experiences in terms of? Were there any systems in place within some of these councils to support women um, trying to build their career and and perhaps get promotions?
2: Yeah, um I think uh, in terms of recruitment, um they said that they felt really supported and they were not being asked about, you know, you know, what their cultural backgrounds are, um and things like that. But when it comes to promotion, what women shared with me was that there is little support for migrant and refugee women and also they got singing their foreigners, really, Um, um, because their leadership style might be a little bit different to other women. And also their, you know, linguistic skills, um, and their ability, ability to actually be a full time staff, because all the manager positions require them to be full time staff. But sometimes these women didn't really have family support to care their children. So yeah, we just had really wonderful discussions together.
1: And in terms of language, I know that's something that was mentioned in the report. What are these women's experiences when it comes to being able to speak um, more than one language? Is that seen as an asset or has that hindered
2: them in some ways? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. Um, it was a bit of both. So in community-facing roles like library or a sports centre, um, languages were valued. um, But when it comes to again, I keep talking about promotion. But when it comes to promotion and really managing the team or looking after the team as a leader, um, their additional language skills were not valued as much as it used to be in their community facing roles. And those who are working in internal roles, like for example, HR, they said that the language was not really um, used. So their language skills were not really, not really, but I can't really say that they were not valued, but they were not used or utilised within the team.
1: I also wanted to touch on refugee and women's experience of harassment within these work settings. Uh, Can you talk a bit more about that?
2: Yeah, um, so um, most of the participants for these studies were um, migrant women and i've only met with a couple of refugee like a couple of women from refugee background but they um didn't have experience of like a sexual harassment within their organization but what one thing that they mentioned about is you know when we try to really recruit diverse like a people from diverse background, one reason that refugee, like a people from refugee background, couldn't come forward is because of their trauma with, you know, trauma dealing with the government, whether it's their home country or Australian government when they apply for refugee visas here. So I thought that was really interesting. And, you know, we had this discussion with the senior leadership team in local councils. They were like, you know, we really want to diversify our workforce, but we're not sure how to actually reach out to the migrant and refugee community. And when I mentioned about this, you know, what these women have shared with me, they were like, that really makes sense. Oh, we really have to do more work on this. Yeah, which was really good. Hmm. Yeah, so it
1: sounds like that's probably a gap that needs to be addressed within these settings is not just diversifying but also really supporting women from refugee backgrounds to be able to apply for these roles um, because it's think yeah. to say we welcome everyone, but if there are no proactive steps in actually helping or helping to facilitate this uh, process, then it makes it extremely difficult and very, very daunting
2: yeah and when you know when you go to local councils, you like I think the first impression is really important. If you don't see any women of color or non-binary people, you immediately feel like this is not a place for someone like me. Um, so I think it's really important to have that kind of diverse representation within local councils as well
1: yeah definitely and one thing yeah. i found quite interesting from reading the report is that uh, some of the participants mentioned that there was good inclusive language being used you know the mention of the word intersectional or intersectionality but there was a lack of meaningful action to to back that up so um yeah i was wondering if you could talk about that a bit more
2: yeah um that was a really interesting point um because so I think in I think from 2021. Um, so as you know, we have the new gender equality act, and um, each public sector. So like if, for example, local councils um, have to put forward their gender equality action plan, and in doing so, they have to actually take apply um, intersectional approach to those plans. And so when we analyzed gender equality action plans from you know each councils, um they used that they will take intersectional approach. But when we uh when we asked the participants what you know what do you think about you know your local council's inter- intersectional approach, they were like, there is none. Some of them were like, there's none. Some of them like, oh, I think they just mean family violence or First Nations people or LGBTQI community. So they really, um, there was very um, diverse ideas and diverse impression about uh, what intersectionality mean. So that was really interesting. So... So one of the suggestions, one of the recommendations that we made for the commission is to be really clear about what we mean by intersectionality. You know, obviously, we are just starting this new action plan. Um, it's, you know, the work is, you know, in the progress. We, um, so I think for the next gender equality action plan, we really think about what intersectionality actually means and what it looks like within their organizations.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, being able for mm. um, that to be clearly communicated to um, people who work in local government, but also for people within the community as well, just so that they Absolutely. understand what's being done at that level. Aside from that, were there any other key recommendations made from this report?
2: Um, something that we found out during the focus group, so we've met with 81 um, participants from six in, uh, six Uh, participating local councils and um, they talked about you know having the um, diversity working group but when we asked the migrant and refugee women whether they are part of the group um, none of them were part of the group Um, so we really i think something that local council really need to uh, put efforts onto is to really include them be more inclusive and have a better representation in diversity groups and committees.
1: That was Dr. Ellen Cho speaking to me about the report that she wrote with Professor Marie Seagrave called Victorian Local Councils and Gender Equality, Examining Commitments to Diversity and the Experience of Women from Migrant and Refugee Backgrounds. To read the full report, you can go to bit.ly forward slash Victorian Local Councils or make sure you check our show notes after today's show.
3: ADHD what the doctor wrote I find it buried inside my nose Too many fams not diagnosed Cleaning up after bros Social capital and stages Token round a neck Burden of representation Paycheck to paycheck I really need a therapist Who's not a white apologist Biggest fear is tripophobia History of psychosis Simo Filipino Loki D. depresso Make me a. But we're still on stolen land, bro. Never got an invitation to settle in flannel. My people working overtime, pattern of survival. White feminist rhetoric embedded in the fabric. They got fashion handcrafted by these colonized habits. They like you at 100. How about your zero? This fire like your fire, but this my son in flight mode. K, I'm mortal Fuck it up K, I'm mortal Take care K, I'm mortal Fuck it up K, I'm Running from the things that make me sad Used to only feel deserving when I'd break my back They handing out awards to the sacrificial lamb So exhausted to the bone, thanks for making me laugh And now I lie with you, we're holding hands when we sleep You drag me to the mirror, say just look at us, baby A couple of brown punks fucking up the scene
0: On community radio around Australia, you are listening to Women on the Line. The song you just heard was Kay, I'm Mortal by Kim Mortal. You've been hearing Fung chat with Dr. Ellen Cho, lecturer at Monash University, about her co-authored report detailing the experiences of migrant and refugee women working in Victorian local councils. Up next, 3CR broadcaster Kanagi chats with Rati and Lavanya from the Refugee Women Action for Visa Equality. Let's hear from Rati and Lavanya.
4: So can we start by talking about what led to this march? What brought all these different refugee women from such diverse backgrounds together?
5: Because we are asking for freedom for all of us. Because um, ROS visa has given the hope for uh, 19,000 refugees. But are left behind uh, around 10,000 refugee women and children left behind. So that's why we thought we have to do something.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, that's so incredibly unfair and it um, makes it really clear that the system as it stands is not working. How does the government's lack of transparency and lack of fairness impact refugees, particularly women and children?
5: um, can I get, um this is Lavanya. I would like to answer for this question. Sure. And so um, the government's been treating refugees uh, for more than, um, you know, decades. Um, They have not given any answers for a number of uh, refugees. And most of the refugees are still in camps and in community detention. And some of them are, you know, their cases have not been analyzed for a number of years. And these refugees uh, came here with, you know, um, kids, they are one year or you know two, two years old. Now these kids are grown up and they are they have to go to universities and colleges. And these people do not know uh, should they you know join the university or what they need to do, what's their future or anything. So there are women and you know so the children are walking here. Uh, the one of the uh, women walking here is a 19 year old girl. She couldn't go to university. And uh, this government has not given them any any sort of uh, solution, and these people do not know what the future is. So she has to discontinue her university studies to, to, uh, you know, uh, because she couldn't afford international student fees. So this lack of transparency has been really hurting a lot of people. They don't know where where to go. They are in limbo. They are not able to choose their future.
4: That's incredibly unfair and it's you know you it's not okay to keep people in limbo like that um where you you can't you know even choose what you're going to study or pay for your study because you don't know what the future holds um as i understand it the labor party made some promises um you know and they promised some changes can you tell us about that and in what ways have they not kept those promises
5: um so the labor party uh has um you know uh, they have promised, um, uh, uh, you know, people have been, uh, during the election, a lot of refugees have been, they had a hope, and they've been in the polling booths and, talk, talk, you know, canvassing can for the refi- uh, Labour Party because they believe that, you know, after 10 years, if Labour Party comes to a, a position, they are they believe that they are going to have some kind of solution. So a lot of refugees, were, uh, you know, they had a hope and that they of this announcement that they are only going to give a well, few people a permanent residency, that actually brought in a lot of people to and their family life, and a lot of people have actually gone, um, you know, uh, tried to commit suicide, and there's a lot of people there, uh, couldn't go to job for, for a couple of days because they they sincerely believe that, you know, there's going to be solution for everyone, but they never believe that uh, their Labour Party is going to leave off 12,000 people. Um, so these 12,000 people, they are uh, they are heartbroken. They don't know. Like their they only hope was Labour Party, but now they they have let even the Labour Party wash their hands. So they don't really know. They, they don't uh, know what what is to do. So that's why they are. Most of people are now taking the actions
4: yeah absolutely and one of the things that you're protesting is this fast track system which is flawed can you tell us about this that's
5: definitely this fast track system has been an unfair uh system of, for all the refugees they want they uh, most of these refugees are non-english speaking even after living in this country for more than uh you know 10 years um with the you know le- they they don't have uh, proper access to any kind of education or you know uh, any kind of uh, uh, you know society stuff. So they, they they couldn't improve they couldn't improve their uh, you know the language skills or anything. So still now they are not able to understand a lot of this government uh, jargons and stuff. With this for you know the fast track system, they actually try to get their old taste in in few minutes. So it's, it's that actually, you know, flawed, like they didn't understand what the system is, what mm. they're trying to ask, what they wanted to give in the case. So they have given whatever they know, uh, but most, most of them had very limited English. They couldn't clearly say what the problem is, why they are here. That actually the government tried to use that against these people. And now they are, you know, victimized for the system.
4: Yeah, it doesn't. It seems so unfair that the government doesn't provide the correct resources for anybody to be able to, you know, gain the skills that are needed in order to complete these processes. It seems like uh, they're set up to fail in a way. That's that's very
5: true. Um, Yeah. So there's more people are ready to, you know, do anything. They are improving their. Uh, you know lifestyle they, they they wanted to learn a lot they wanted to mingle with the community, but uh the lack of support is making them uh slowing down more and more than uh you know improving themselves
4: yeah, absolutely. What does it feel like to be in the march right now and have solidarity with so many other women um who are in such a similar situation
5: it it is it is really heartbreaking because um Radhi, who was speaking uh, just now, she actually, uh, you know, uh, injured her leg. So she couldn't walk, She's like uh, having a fixed, uh, So that's why she couldn't properly talk in the uh, air right now. And there are other women here working. They are single mom, left the kids at home. And um, there are other people, you know, they are really, really, you know, uh, injured and had, you know, a couple of operations, resections. And these people have, a uh, lot of people have, low, you know, big back. But they're still walking uh, they you know they're trying their best to walk thirty kilometers per day that's incredible really really hard work uh, I don't know th- what keeps them you know going, but it's really uh, you know their pain this uh, this pain is not uh, you know uh, something that uh, I to the pain they have been going through for more than thirty
4: years yeah, absolutely they sound just so incredibly resilient and Um, The march sounds like, you know, it's really powerful um, and heartbreaking at the same time. Uh, I feel like, you know, these women shouldn't have to be so resilient. The government should be providing far more support. But this is the situation as it stands. Um, What are your demands from this march?
5: From this march, we are seeking um, permanent residency for all the left out. uh, It's uh, around uh, nine Ten thousand people. So we want um, permanent residency for all these ten thousand people. It's not just for us. Uh, any, every, everyone in this country, every refugee should be given permanent residency, and this limbo should stop.
4: Absolutely. And how can people listening right now help support this movement?
5: Um, so um, we have our Facebook page. Um, it's called. Uh, uh, refugee women action for visa equality and um, so they can follow the uh, Facebook page and uh, so we if they are on this road they can stop by and say hello to us that would be encouraging as well and um, you know if they have some connections in this area they can also put us in connection because we um uh having trouble in finding you know places to stay overnight
4: Absolutely. Can you tell our listeners the route that you're taking so that they're aware of where they can see you if they're around?
5: Yeah, so we, today we are walking from Nehembi to Acadia South and tomorrow from Acadia to Shepparton and, after, and we will be in Shepparton uh, on Thursday and, uh, and uh, we will do a protest there and if you are in Shepparton, um, you can come and join us for the, in the protest.
0: And that's all for Women on the Line today. We heard about current issues faced by migrant and refugee women in the workplace and more broadly in society in so-called Australia. Earlier in the show, we heard from Dr. Ellen Cho, lecturer at Monash University, about her co-authored report detailing the experiences of women from migrant and refugee backgrounds in Victorian local councils. We then heard from Rathi and Lavanya from the Refugee Women Action for Visa Equality. Who spoke to us about their walk alongside a group of refugee background women from Nam to Parliament House in Canberra, calling for permanent visas and freedom? The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara, and the featured song on today's show was Kay, I'm Mortal by Kim Mortal. I'm Sanya, and tune in to Women on the Line next week on your local community radio station.